Uh, well, listen, welcome to church this morning. Welcome to New Life Church. We're honored that you would be here with us on this Sunday morning to gather together in honor of the Lord. We are so thankful. As I mentioned, we are in a series called Hope is Here, and it's in conjunction with um, really over 30,000 churches across America that we know of are joining in this, this campaign called Back to Church. It was really about last Sunday, Back to Church Sunday was the national day, but really this whole uh, four weeks of this series is just about taking the time to, uh, to pause and to reflect on our relationship with Christ and to consider others uh, in our circle, in our path, that might need an invitation to church. I've been told over the last couple of weeks and, be, and have seen uh, from the youngest in our church uh, inviting people to church, inviting friends on Wednesday nights and uh, inviting friends on Sunday morning. I met some folks this morning. You, you were invited to church today. And uh, I just i am thankful uh, that you uh, think enough of our church to invite others to join in in what God is doing here. And uh, we are certainly honored to have all of you with us this morning. Well, we're going to go back a little bit to, to into the Old Testament today, and we're going to go to a story that might be familiar with a lot of us, and to some it, you might not have ever heard of it before, I don't know, but it's 1 Samuel chapter 17 is, is where we're going to be hanging out today. And um, over the last couple of weeks, we've just been looking at the different ways throughout Scripture how God gives people hope in all different places of life, considering in this, this hopeless world, really, if we put our hope in this world, it's not going to give us anything in return that's uh, eternally profitable. And uh, today we're going to look at a story, and we're going to look at how hope is given to us in times where we face things that, um, uh, that we feel like maybe we just can't handle them. Maybe they feel a little too much. Maybe they feel a bit overwhelming, beyond our scope of, uh, of understanding and how really in life sometimes we are the underdogs. We really are the underdogs, period, but thank God for Jesus who turns the tide and who changes everything. And, uh, but life has ways to present situations to us that make us feel in that position of being an underdog. And that's what we're going to look at today, hope for the underdog, and I don't know about you, but I always love a good underdog story. I always love a good comeback story. Uh, sometimes I, if, if I happen to turn on the TV and see a game on, and it's not even by any I root for, but I just see the score, and I see the person that's behind, I'm going to pull for that person or that team that's behind, because I just love to see somebody come back from the odds and win. Amen. There's hope for Tennessee still today. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that, though, in life? Do you ever feel like you're an underdog? You don't, it's not about raising our hands. It's just about thinking about our life. Sometimes we feel like we're the underdogs. We go into places and situations, and we experience things. And, man, we're, we come up against uh, challenges that just, man, maybe sometimes maybe doubt yourself, maybe doubt God sometimes, and maybe wonder, is there a way through this? Life has a way of presenting some daunting situations in our life. Maybe we find romance and relationships and marriages to be a place where we are, where we are fighting as an underdog, and it's not turning out like we had dreamed. Uh, maybe parenting. 
Uh, maybe some of us are in that boat where we feel like, man, are things are my kids ever going to catch on? Am I ever going to catch on to be the kind of parent I need to be here in this situation? And is life's full of all of those types of things. Maybe navigating careers and changing locations, changing jobs, maybe changing a shift on your job or changing the the uh, environment and where where you're around. It just sometimes you 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 come up against things and on the job and you feel like, man. These people are against me. I, I can't seem to ever get ahead here. I can't seem to ever get the advancement that I feel like I deserve or, or the recognition. You feel like the underdog sometimes in, in what you're going through. And um, maybe, maybe some, some of us are dealing with habits in our life where, man, the, the habits seem to get the best of us at times. And we feel like, am I ever going to overcome this thing? And, um, and certainly over the last couple of years, we all feel like underdogs through the pandemic and through politics. It all kind of makes us feel like, man, what is going on in this country? What's happening in this world? So many things can make us feel like we are the underdog from time to time. And, you know, the Bible is so full of stories of real people who, against, uh, against all kinds of odds that they faced, God shows a way, shows us a way that we too can overcome like the real people in this Bible, uh, in God's Word. And we're going to look at, uh, as I said, a story, a classic story. It's the story of David and Goliath. It's probably one of my most uh, uh, favorite stories uh, growing up here. And even before I became a real believer, a true believer, a follower of Christ, this story has always stuck out. In, to me, and I uh, often can find myself uh, imagining being in this kind of scenario, in this scene of life where the giants of life are daunting and tormenting and overbearing and me feeling small and, and little and unprepared and wondering, how am I how am I going to get victory here? How am I going to experience what it tastes like to win in this situation? And, uh, and, and sometimes that's how life can be. But we're going to look at this story because there's hope for the underdog. And I'm just going to pull out four thoughts here, four ways that we can exp- where we can gain hope from this story that provides hope uh, for us underdogs in this world and in this life. And it's this, we're going to kind of pick up halfway into this story a little bit. But the first thought is this, there's hope for the underdog because when we are rarely prepared for the fight, God is always ready. When we are rarely prepared for the fight, God is always ready. The truth is we are hardly ever prepared to handle what life throws our way. Um, We might feel like we're prepared, we might feel like we're ready, we might feel like we got our game face on, but... Most of the time, as, as prepared as we might find ourselves, we're never truly, fully prepared to handle what happens. And we don't ask to be in these positions. No one wakes up asking, God, put me in a position of not feeling prepared. No one prays that, I don't think. Uh, and, but that's certainly how we can find ourselves sometimes, just unprepared. David found himself like that. He found himself totally unprepared in this moment, and maybe today you feel that way about some things in your life. Uh, you just feel un- totally unprepared for the fight. And uh, a little bit of this backstory here, just prior to this scene, prior to this story taking place, David, he was, he was, he's around the 15 to 
age range, and he had found himself doing what he was supposed to be doing, and he was a, uh, a shepherd to his father's sheep out in the fields, and God was about to change the whole narrative of the future. And um, he, uh, he commissioned the prophet Samuel, who was responsible for ordaining leadership in Israel at the time. And uh, Saul was the king, but Saul was going to be eventually removed from that position because of his extreme disobedience to the Lord. And God had told Samuel, I have somebody else. I'm gonna, I've picked someone else. There's somebody else that that's going to be the king. I'm going to, for the future of the lineage of Israel, it's not going to come through Saul. It's actually going to come through somebody else. And I'm going to show you who that is. And that's what chapter 16 of 1 Samuel is all about. And Samuel goes and finds, eventually discovers David and uh, anoints him to be the next king of Israel. And then there's going to be a, 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 a gap of time that goes by. Many years go by before David actually becomes king. And, and so David finds himself in this position. He was anointed to be king, asked to be king, called to be king, commissioned to be king, unprepared to be king, and now he finds himself in this position. His father asked David to go do something. The Israelites were battling the Philistines. Good versus bad was happening. And, um, and, and David's father said, I need you to do something. And that's where we pick up verse 17. says, one day Jesse told, uh, said to David, hey, take this basket of grain and these ten loaves of bread, carry them to your brothers, get there quickly, give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain, see how their, your brothers are doing and getting along, and then bring back a report on how everything's going. David's brothers were, were with Saul the, and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah. They were fighting against the Philistines. And so... David left the sheep with another shepherd, and he set out early the next morning with those gifts as his father directed him. And he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. And soon the Israelites and the Philistine forces stood facing each other. And, and it says... Um, they were army against army. And then David left his things with the keeper of supplies, and he went out to the ranks to greet his brothers. And he arrived on the scene just as the two armies were about to go to battle, just as they were about to go to war. See, what was happening in the background was this: the Philistine army had this giant named Goliath. He was over nine feet tall, and he was a champion, and no one could beat him. And what he would do, he would come out every day, and he would, in his loud, thunderous, giant voice, issue an invitation to the Israelite army and say, hey, if you got somebody man enough to come and take me on, let's get it on today. And if you can beat me, we'll become your slaves. If, we, if I beat him, then you will become our slaves. Well, that freaked out the Israelite army because they didn't have anybody, they thought. They didn't have anybody. You see, the giant was taking it off of the scene of everybody, the army against army, and making it against him, against someone else. And it made Israelite, the Israelites, I mean, freaked out, scared. And that's often how the enemy works in our life. Gets our eyes to be off of the team off of the army, off of the family of God, and gets us to just focus on ourselves and wonder 
I don't, I can't do this on my own. And therefore we live and hide and run in fear and anxiety and all of these different things start to happen and panic and all of this stuff. And that's where the Israelite army found themselves. And so David shows up right as all this was, get, was happening and he was unprepared. He did not expect to step into this. He just came to deliver some grain, some cheese to check on his brothers, get a report and go back to minding his own business but God had other plans. God had other plans for David that day. And he shows up, and he was not prepared for what he was seeing and what he was hearing. And, you know, sometimes, no matter how prepared we think we are, nothing really quite, quite prepares us until we actually go through something, until you actually are going through it. We might feel well prepared, but until we actually are facing it, until we're actually dealing with something, that's when we find out. You know, over the last um, 12, going on 13 years since I became the senior pastor here, I thought I was prepared. Uh, I thought I had all the preparation that, 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 I, was, that I needed to, to do this thing. And I had an education. I had um, mentors that, that helped uh, walk me through things and and guide me and speak into my life. And I had, I had already had 10 years of ministry experience already prior to this. And, but nothing prepares you for what you're going to go through until you go through it, until you begin to deal with it. I had no idea that over the last, just the last 12 years, I would have to pastorally walk with people, over 30 families who deal, have dealt with death and have watched their loved ones pass away. And over half of those, I was either personally officiating those or assisting in those. And I know that's what pastors are supposed to do, but, but it takes a toll on people, not only on the individuals and the families that personally are affected, but then those who gather around and rally around and try to be supported. It has effect on, on all of us in different ways. I thought I was prepared to be able to, you know, really just be cool with all of that, but I, I found out that nothing prepares you for it until you actually walk through those types of things. I, I thought I was prepared to help make decisions and lead our church financially, and then we, we find out, man, we're, we have one, nearly $1.3 million in debt. What are we going to do? And thankfully, God puts great people together and helps make good decisions and, and Thankfully, now for the last four years, our church has been debt-free, praise God. That's amazing. Not to say that wasn't stressful. Not to say uh, I lost a lot more hair than I thought I would. Um, I prayed a lot more than I ever thought I needed to pray. Uh, certainly, I, I pastoring with people, walking with people who I have seen couples get divorced and families ripped apart. Things just didn't work out as I would pray for people and try to support people, having to walk with people through their, through their pain as well, seeing people's lives affected by disease and different scenarios like that. You know, it, it, you just don't know until you actually walk through that uh, with others. I have, my own, have had my own share of disappointments. As a pastor, you, you want everybody who comes to your church to stay at your church, to be in your church, but I've had to see people leave. I've had to watch people move away. And I had to just be okay with just blessing people as they walk out. And, um, you know, you, th you think you're cool. You think you're good. You think you've got tough skin until someone 
you find out someone says, hey, I'm not going to be a part of your church anymore. I'm going to do something different. And I'm not, that's not neither here nor there. It's just that that has effects on how and who you are and what you do. And you think you're prepared for that until you walk through it. I've personally dealt with depression over the last several years. Uh, the Lord has delivered me from, from that. I am so thankful for that. I know what it's like to be really, really low, and I am so thankful. I know what it's like to be really, really opposite of that. And I'm thankful how God has helped guide me and helped hold my hand through the ups and downs of doing this thing. And uh, I've had my share of, uh, of, of extreme uh, soul fatigue dis discouragement where you just like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, God. I don't want to do this anymore. What you've called me to do is extremely hard to do. And um, I don't really want to do this anymore. But there's, then there just comes this switch that kicks in by the grace of God that says, this is who you are and this is what I've called you to do. And I'm not going to let you quit. I'm not going to let you give up. I'm going to empower you and fuel you and, and continue to put voices of encouragement in your life and uh, people who, who, uh, who you look up to, uh, talk to them about that, and they will help you through this. And so um, those are times when you think you're prepared and then you go through stuff, you find out as prepared as we might be for the battle, for the fight, we may not be. But through it all, I have always seen God always ready to fight with me and to fight for me and to fight in me through this type of thing. And it's at this point, like David was finding himself, man, do I just accept this or do I trust God to give me the strength to carry? And I love this part in the New Testament. Paul actually writes this in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8. Paul prayed to the Lord. He said, three times I begged God, take these thorns away. Take this thorn away from me. And he said, each time God would say back to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, God may not always remove the thorns out of our life, the battles that we deal with and the fights we find ourselves in. But what he will always supply to us is his grace, and his grace is what gives us strength to be able to carry on. And if we will just make ourselves keep trusting the Lord, keep trusting our shepherd, keep trusting our Savior, keep trusting our God, God always will get to us grace. He'll always get grace. He'll always get you the grace that you need in order to continue to carry on. Because when we are not prepared for the fight, God always is ready for what is in front of us. Amen? And that's where David found himself. And that's why that that's why we can find hope for us underdogs is because God is always ready. Here's another thought. 
There's hope for the underdogs because if God is for us, nothing can stand against us. If God is for us, nothing can stand against us. You see, when we find ourselves in seasons of setbacks and and seasons of struggles, um, we have to remind ourselves that God has been there before in our past. When we're facing the present struggle, facing the present situation that's hard, then we have to remind ourselves, you know, God's been there before. God's been here with me in times past. And that's, that's where David found himself. You know, what, what causes an underdog like David? I mean, just 15, 16, maybe 17 years old, not in the army, not trained, not, not, not prepared. What causes an underdog like David to stand up to a giant like this? Hope. Hope that David had. He had hope that he knew God was for him once before when he was in the fields with the lions and the bears. And God will be with him again. Let's take a look at that. Verse uh, 23. Verse 23 says, So David was talking with, with, uh, with the army of Israel, and then um, Goliath and the Philistine champion came out. And David heard him shout. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen this giant, everybody asked? He comes out every day to defy Israel, and the king has offered a massive, huge reward to anyone who can kill him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. He'll exempt his entire family from taxes. And then David asked the soldier standing nearby, Man, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel. David was wondering, man, what can happen? This has got to stop. He said, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And and the men gave David the same answer that the reward would be given. And then verse 32, David made a decision. He said, I came here to deliver some grain and some cheese and to get a report but I have decided I'm going to fight. I have decided that somebody has got to do something about this giant. Somebody's got to shut this man up. He goes to the king. David says, don't worry. Don't worry about this Philistine, he told Saul. I'll go. (laughs) I'll go fight him. And Saul's like, don't be ridiculous, dude. Don't be ridiculous. Are you crazy? There's no way you can fight this Philistine. He impossibly win. You're just a boy. He's been a man of war ever since his youth. But David persisted. Look at this, verse 34. He said, I've been taking care. You see, there's a story you don't know. See, there's a backstory to my story that you're unaware of. You don't know where I've been. You haven't seen me. You don't know what I've been up to. He said, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, and when a lion and a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, listen to what David said he did. He said, I go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw, and I just club it to death. (laughs) Who does that? He said, with all due respect, sir, king, I have done this to both lions and bears. 
I'm going to do it again today to this Philistine. He has defied the armies of God. In verse 37, the Lord who rescued me back then from the claw of the lion and the bear in my past, he will show up today and he will rescue me from this Philistine today. And Saul's like, all right, go ahead with your bad self then. (laughs) Go ahead and, oh, may the Lord be with you. (laughs) A little little cute blell, may the Lord be with you. I don't know, that's how I see it, but I don't know. David's like, this is today. But if you just knew my past, if you just knew what I have been through, if you have just seen all the different ways God has brought me around the corner, brought me through turbulent times, if you, have just, if you just knew a little bit about my story, King Saul, you would, you would have great confidence in me today. But I get it. You don't know me. You, ha- you haven't seen me. And, and he, didn't, he didn't bother to tell him that he was going to be the next king. David was not that crazy yet. And he, he, he's like, but here's the deal. I've been out taking care of these lions and these bears, and here's how I handle them. Today, I'm going to do this, and, and really God is going to be present with me in, my, in, in this situation. David knew. David knew. How about this? How has God been there for you in your past? Think about it. Think about your past. How has God been there for you? How have you seen his hand help you How have you seen God come through for you? How have you seen God take things and turn them around for your good in your past? Revelation 12, 11 tells us that one of the ways we overcome in this world is by the word of our testimony. Talking about what God has done. Telling others what God has done for us. Check out this psalm in Psalm 77, verse 11 and 12. It says, I call... All you have done, I recall all you have done, O Lord, and I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. You see, we, we serve a God. We're talking about the God who is the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. And Scripture teaches us that Jesus is the same yesterday today, and forever. God does not change who he is. He was faithful then, he will be faithful today, and he will, we will find him to be faithful tomorrow. And David knew that. David had recounted. David had remembered quickly on the spot, if this is, situation is ever going to change, if this is going to turn around, then I need to call to, I need to remember real quick how God helped me then. You see, David's hope in his present comes from God's faithfulness in the past. And you and I will find that to be true for our lives. Our hope today will be found in God's faithfulness of yesterday. We need to remember. We need to not forget all the ways, all the little ways and all the big ways that God has been for us in our past. It will remind us that if God is for us, nothing can stand against us. Number three. You guys still good? There is hope for us underdogs in this world. 
Because this is how God says to fight our battles. You know, our battles are not fought in conventional ways. Our battles are fought rather in the Spirit. And that's what makes everything so different. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to stand and resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after battling, you will still be standing firm. If we want to still be standing firm after a battle, then we have to put on all of God's armor and remember that our fight is not flesh and blood. Our battle is a spiritual battle that is taking place. And David responds to Goliath's threats and by letting him know, hey, God is going to be fighting this battle today. I have to show up, I have to present myself, I have to take my position, but the real outcome is going to be done by the Lord himself. Let's look at that. David shares these three lights on how we let God fight our battles. First, we let God fight our battles when we just really truly submit to his will. Verse 40, it said, David picked up five smooth stones from a stream and he put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling. And he picked five smooth stones from the stream. There's a lot of sermons on there about the five smooth stones. What, does those, what do those stones mean? Kind of like last week when Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dirt with his finger, what was he writing? Well, here's how I liken it in this story for right now. David was a shepherd, and David wrote a psalm, Psalm 23. And the first five words, the Lord is my shepherd. Five smooth stones to remind David, the Lord is my shepherd. He's here. He will fight for me today. And then David says, shows us how we let God fight our battles is when we bring all of our difficulties to God in prayer. Have you ever found yourself knowing you needed to pray about something, but not wanting to pray about it. It's like, man, deep down you know, I need to talk to God about this, but I just really don't feel like talking to God about this today. And David shows us that if we're going to let God fight our battles, we have to talk to Him. We have to bring Him our difficulties through prayer. Look at verse 45. David replied to this Philistine, he said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
David had settled in his heart and in his life at that moment that if, I was, if I'm going to let God fight this battle for me, then I have to let it be known. I come today not in the name of David, not in the name of Jeremy, not in the name of me, not in the name of whatever name I want to think of to call you, but I'm coming today in the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus who is above every other name that ever existed and that ever will exist. His name is high and lofty and mighty and carries all authority. You see, if we want God to be involved in helping and fight our battles, we have to go to God with our battles. We have to go to Him with these difficulties. We have to go to Him with these things and talk to Him about it. And then the third part, he says, if we want to let God fight our battles, then we have to invite God in to intervene on our behalf. The devil would like to make us think we have to do it all by ourselves. We have to muster up all the strength we can. We got to gather all the information we can. We got to have all the grace we can on our own self, all the wisdom we can supply for ourselves. But God says, no, if you will just invite me in, then I will be there to fight this battle for you. Look at this in verse 47. And so David says, Everyone assembled here today, and he's talking to the giant, will know that the Lord rescues his people. He said, Everybody, everybody here today will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and not with a spear, for this is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. David had already surrendered his will. David had already gone to the Lord and offered this to God. And David had already invited God, hey, if this is going to change, then you got to be a part of this. It, the only way this is going to turn around is for you to be present in this battle. And friends, you and I face battles. You and I have fights. You and I have things that we come up against. Spirit, soul, and body, all, all three of those things, all three of those areas. And God teaches us if we want him to fight our battles, then it's in our walk with him, our relationship with him, and it's letting him take control. Number, number four, last one, I'll close with this. Because I think the ice cream truck might have just be out there right now. As you heard the, the yippies and the joys of our children outside. There's hope for us underdogs because, number four, God's hope is contagious. God's hope is contagious. Hope in God spreads like wildfire. You ever been around somebody that just has this boisterous personality, this charismatic personality, and you might, you might be like a little down one day, and you run into this person, and they are bubbling, man, and they are just hyper, and they are just over the top, not in a fake way. I'm not talking about making it up. I'm talking about they are just have that kind of countenance going on for them, and it just seems to change your outlook. Yeah, I love being around people that can help do that. I love being around people who can change my outlook, people who can just kind of catch me on fire, people who can kind of inspire me and stimulate me. You see, David's hope in God caught the Israelite army on fire. Look at what happened, verse 50. So, David triumphant, triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone. He had no sword. 
And David ran over and he pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. And David used it to kill him and to cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph. And they rushed after the Philistines chasing them. You see, David's hope in God that day caught the Israelite army on fire and it turned everything around. It made them believe, hey, we can do this. Hey, we can conquer them. Hey, we can overcome. Hey, we can win. Up for the last 40 days, it didn't look like we could for the last 40 days. Man, we had a lot of doubt. We didn't even think we can make it. We were scared. We were hiding. We were afraid. But this guy, this little fella named David, who was a shepherd with just a slingshot and a shepherd's bag, steps out and does his thing, man, if he can do it, we can do it. If you can do it, I can do it. You see, it only takes one just to step up and believe God. It just takes one to believe God with crazy faith and a crazy love and crazy hope to trust and believe God and watch God. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? And in the midst of him doing it for you, it inspires me to have hope that God can do it for me as well. It only takes one. Hope is contagious. There's this story that happened almost 100 years ago. It was about a famous home run in the World Series in 1932. Game three between the New York Yankees and the Chicago Cubs. After four innings, the game was tied four to four. And this person you might have heard of, Babe Ruth, steps up to the plate. He's got two balls and two strikes against him, and as he's getting reset in the batter's box, he takes his hand and he points two fingers to center field. Well, it lights the people up. It makes the pitcher angry. It makes the Cubs mad. But it gets his team, the Yankees, stirred up, man, and they are going. And he points with audacity to center field. He's calling his shot. He's saying, I know I've got two balls, I've got two strikes, and it doesn't look good, but I'm pointing to center field. And the next pitch down the middle, Babe cranks it out of the park, cranks it to deep center field for a home run. Trots the bases, does his thing, gets to home plate, and who's up next? Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig stands in the batters, stands at the plate, and he knocks a home run. You see, hope caught fire to the team. One person's hope that he could do it created an opening for the other person to be able to think, I can also do this as well. What about you? What about you? What about you and those around you? What about you and those people who live in your home? What about you and the people you work with? What about you and the strangers in this world? If you and I could just live with a contagious hope for God, that, hey, we're in this world. We, we know what it's like to have Jesus in our life, but at the same time, we face our battles. We, we are dealing with our strongholds. We are walking through our fights. People are looking at the church and wanting to see, can they make it? Will they be able to do it? Will God show up for them? Will God see them through this time? Even in the midst of a dark time, a painful time, a grieving time, a hurtful time, a disappointing time, will God still be there for them and lead them through? And and lo and behold, as we continue to trust God, He gives us strength and grace to carry on. And pretty soon, they didn't leave. 
They didn't quit. They didn't bow out. They kept going. See, I look around this room, and I'm inspired by a lot of people here today. Because if anybody has reasons to quit, there's a lot of you have a reason to quit. There's a lot of reasons for you to just throw in the towel. But you've been plowing. You've been keeping. And you've been moving. And you've been going forward. And I want to tell you, I'm extremely humbled to be standing in front of you. To see you and your story. And to know it. And still watch you open your mouth. And lift your hands. And thank God. Even in the midst of your trials that you've gone through. Your hope is contagious. Your hope is contagious. So friends, those of you here today, you might be wondering, man, am I going to make it? Can I get through this challenging, difficult time in my life right now? I want you to look around this room. You're looking at a room full of people who don't quit. You're looking around at people who might feel like quitting. Who may have told God, I'm done. But yet, they still show up. They still answer their phone. They still reply to the text. They still give. They still serve. They still are there to offer encouragement to other people, even when their hearts might be hurting. Friends, that's hope. That is hope. There's hope for all of us. There's hope for every single one of us. In closing, I want to read this verse over you, and I want to pray this prayer. If you're able to stand, go ahead and stand to your feet. Romans 12, 12, out of the Passion Translation. Paul writes and says, Let this hope burst forth within you. Within you. Releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble. But commune with God. Connect with God at all times. If you're here today, man, and you're like, I need hope to be strong. I need it to burst up, burst forth in my life what I'm dealing with and what I'm facing and all the different scenarios around us I need to know that I can count on God I need His hope just bow your heads all of us if you're one like, like me today we need hope we need hope to burst forth within us and I love what it says releasing a continual joy continual joy the joy of the Lord really is our strength the Bible says if you need hope lift your hands to the Lord today no shame in this game today I want to just pray for all of us Father you see us 
And this story can resonate with so many of us, if not all of us, that like David, we feel like an underdog. And yet you call us to this fight where to us it looks impossible. To us it looks like, how, how am I going to make it? How can I do this? But like David, we recognize you're always ready and you were always with us. And today we choose, God, the battles we're facing. We just give them to you. Just in your own way, just tell the Lord, I give these battles to you. I give my problems to you. God, I'm giving you my issues. I'm giving you my struggles. And really what I'm saying is I'm giving you my heart. Because I know I cannot possibly try to do this on my own. I need the Lord. I need Jesus to save me. To rescue me. I need Jesus to lead my life forward. I need you, God. And Lord, as this happens today, we pray that hope would truly burst forth within us. Let hope truly burst forth within us. That we would find ourselves waking up tomorrow, the day after, and the day after, and the day after with more and more and more hope in our hearts. That we are truly just believing you, truly just trusting you, God. That you are for us and you are not against us. You are with us and you are in the midst of our battles fighting on our behalf. And we yield all of this to you. And we ask you, with the hope you release in our heart, release joy to be a continual source of strength in us and for us. And let our life be the kind of light that others will see and also have hope in the God that we serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. There's hope for all of us underdogs. Amen.